Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by the man Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? You're too kind. Um, I'm doing well. <laughs> Happy to be on here, and um, it's it's almost here, Sean, 10 days away from the first Kentucky football game. Um, it's hard to believe uh, in some ways, and at the other, you know, it, Felt like it's been a long road to get here, but I'm happy that we are well within sight and all this offseason content we've had to come up with, all these storylines we've beat to death. Um, soon we will have fresh content, fresh questions from Bags. I know people listening to this are probably maybe even more excited than we are to, to have some new things to talk about. Yeah, and then we're going to be right here all season long to bring you some of the best coverage. Hopefully you stick with us throughout the season because we're going to be pumping out content left and right. But Derek mentioned 10 days. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's 10 days. Some of you and a lot of you probably will catch this on Thursday morning or throughout the day on Thursday because we're recording at 730 on Wednesday night. But with 10 days, we decided, well, Derek decided to take the number 10 and talk about the 10 top storylines heading into Kentucky football season. We're going to do something similar here in a few days with five and talk about the top five wins of the Mark Stoops era. But, Derek, we're going to start this list, and this, this was your idea. I think it's really cool. So, Derek has been no, really that, good. No, no point, that, no, point that out. People don't like it. It's my fault. <laughs> Let them know. <laughs> Derek has been been really good though this offseason at coming up with storylines and 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 episode content and the preview episodes with tight ends with quarterbacks all that that's all Derek uh fantastic I book a lot of guests here and there but Derek is really good at creating that content and probably the probably where the writing side comes into play Derek is having to create content and stuff yeah, you can come up with all the basketball stuff for us this fall if you want. I know you like that. So we'll, we'll put that on you. Um, well, I've actually got some good ideas that we're, we're going to do. I don't doubt it. I don't and doubt that you that do. We're, we're going to come up with some good stuff for basketball. But we're going to we'll start. be here soon as well. It I mean, is. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we'll be talking basketball pretty soon. We should probably throw in that they have added another non-conference opponent. They will play <laughs> Southern as part of a five-year unity series with the Southwest Atlantic Conference, right? The SWAC, yep. I believe. Uh, so that will be something that rotates. I know that's something really cool that John Calipari and, and Kentucky has put together that will add to their non-conference schedule. Uh, but we're going to keep it with football in this episode, and we're going to start with storyline number 10. So Derek and I have both agreed on all 10 of these to where they should be. Number 10 is can can you can UK take care of business in rivalry games? And we're doing Louisville as a rivalry, obviously. Tennessee is a rivalry. Some people would probably say Florida, Derek, in recent years, even though Kentucky's not stacked up the wins in that one, but it is it has turned into a rivalry. But we're going to go with Mississippi State as a hidden rival in there, and only because it's the one team from the West that they've played every year since I've been following UK football. So even though I actually don't consider it a rivalry. You kind of got to just because they play that crossover game every year. And if you ask NCAA football way back in 2014, they have it as a rivalry. Yeah, it's a it's a rivalry because of Greg Sankey and SEC say it is. <laughs> so uh, we include it. But yeah, Sean, to me those are and and some of them, we'll go ahead and preface this by saying uh, some of these storylines will be things that we have not. Um, spend a lot of time talking about and some of them you know I think there will be probably a little bit of overlap 
uh, with some of the storylines. But with number 10, I, I think there's a really good chance if they go 3-0 and in these games, Sean, it's going to be a special year. Uh, and I think maybe more so than even saying it'll be a special year, it, it will put you in a range. If you go 3-0 and in these games, it will put you in a range that is up there as one of the best, as one of the better regular seasons for UK in the past 40 years, because we agreed in our schedule series um, that we did the other night that Kentucky would win the three non-conference games. You assume they're going to beat South Carolina. You assume they're going to beat Vanderbilt. That's five. Well, if you just take care of business in these three games, that's eight wins right there. Yeah. And you got a chance at some other ones, but um, yeah, Missouri, yeah. The, the, obviously the big one that we talked about a lot the other night. So, um, I feel really good about their chance. I guess the way I would rank it, Sean, is I would say, ooh, and you might disagree with me on this. We'll see. I'm going to say the most likely win is Louisville on the road. And then I'm going to say – I'm going to say Tennessee at home next. I'm going to say Mississippi State on the road. Despite them being picked to finish seventh by the league, I think having – the fact that UK hasn't really played that well down there um, – I think that might not be in the toughest, but I, I was I was tempted out there to put Tennessee as the toughest game out of all those. What do you think? To to me, the the, the toughest I'm going to put Louisville, just really? because, uh, and and not from a a talent standpoint or anything like that. But that late in the season rivalry weekend, you don't know what injuries are going to look like. You don't know what your depth chart's going to look like at that point. Uh, has Kentucky had a season that's lived up to expectations at that point, or have they struggled? And kind of and lost some mojo there. I think that that that's why I put it the toughest one. Uh, I put the the second one, second toughest would be Mississippi State, just because they haven't done it in so long and they never play well down there. And it's coming off. I know they have a bye week before it, but then there's three brutal games that lead up to that. And then Tennessee, I think, might be the easiest one, honestly, because it's at Kroger Field. You gonna tag SEC Mike in that when we do this? You gonna tell him? I, I'm gonna now? I'm gonna text him right now. <laughs> It's <laughs> the easiest one. Uh, no, some people probably won't agree with me that Louisville's the toughest, but I just think that given the animosity and that rivalry, Derek, you just never know what you're going to get in it. And I, but I did say the other day that I think that they beat Louisville by ten to seventeen. Maybe I'm thinking that they beat the others pretty good as well. I, I could see them winning all three of these games if, as long as they're healthy and things are going good, I could see them having very a lot of really good success. But uh, you have anything to add there before we move on to number nine? No, no, I, um, I'm glad we have a different – had a different take there. I mean, you're right, too, about – I don't think Kentucky will lose to Louisville. Matter of fact, like I said, I thought it would be their easiest out of those three. But, you know, a couple of years ago, Kentucky was a four-touchdown underdog to Louisville in one. So, I mean, in a rivalry game, you know, you just never know. Although I would say big difference is I think Kentucky is far more talented than Louisville. And if you go back a few years ago – I think on paper, the big separator, obviously, was Lamar Jackson. Yeah, um, You saw where Louisville went once he was gone. And I think, really, recruiting-wise, Kentucky had a had a fairly talented roster that year, uh, especially had Drew Barker been healthy. I mean, I think it would have been one of their better rosters, maybe still, of the Stoops era, had he lived up to – had he not been injured and lived up to that. So, I do think there is a difference. It's not as cut and dry as saying, well, because five years ago, Kentucky won by – or, or won a game that it was um, an underdog by four touchdowns. Obviously, uh, there are other factors that go in. But, no, at number nine, Sean, we uh, we put the ninth biggest storyline, and this is a big one. Uh, how big of an impact do the incoming transfers make? 
And if you could actually make a case that it probably could be higher on the list, but there's, there's quite a be. few things that have moved in in recent weeks that have kind of surpassed that one. And I mean, and they had all these transfers. They they came at different times too, Derek. Like they, they had some that came early yeah. in January. They had some in the spring. They had Derek Rosenthal in the summer. Uh, it's it's a really intriguing storyline because they come at positions to where at quarterback and wide receiver, where everybody's going to have their eyes on it. But then you've got Jacquez Jones, you've got Dare Rosenthal. They're they're all over the roster. I think that's what makes it such an intriguing storyline is because they have so many that are going to have to step right in and start or play a, a lot of snaps. Yeah, I'm thinking three on offense, right? Will Levis obviously has already won the I mean, and you can say Dare Rosenthal too. I mean, we had the storyline last week of Darian Kennard moving back to right tackle. That was that was a better spot for him. And it was also partly because the coaching staff knew that. Darren Rosenthal was a better left tackle than, than Darren Kennard was. So between Rosenthal, Levis, and Wondell Robinson, uh, you're talking about your starting quarterback, most probably the most important position. Uh, some people would say it's the most important position in any sport, probably an Americanized way to look at it. Uh, left tackle, second most important. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah. you got to have someone protecting your – if he's a right-handed quarterback, you have someone protecting their blind side. And then your number one wide receiver. I mean, those are three huge – yeah. additions that Kentucky had at very key positions. And then, of course, on the other side of the ball, having an inside linebacker like Jacquez Jones, I think he was obviously the big one on that side of the ball. He's been a little banged up. Um, Brad White said yesterday that he thought he could be out there for the opener. Um, and then a couple other guys too, Trayvon Morgan, Luke Fulton. Is there anybody else? I'm trying think to think. I think we about got everybody. That's covered a, a lot of it, yeah. That's covered the most important ones, I would but say. A lot of those guys, though, or you kind of Kentucky's in Kentucky's season kind of hinges on a lot of those guys, especially when you're talking Levis and Wandell. Oh, yeah. On so offense, for sure. such an, an intriguing storyline. Uh, so that, that one's number nine. And now we're moving on to number eight. And we actually did some late shuffling here because of some things that are, you know, kind of changing. So we've got number eight as where does Kentucky finish in the SEC East? One another one that some people might have a little bit higher, Derek, because you you see Kentucky being voted a lot. A lot more people have put Kentucky second this year than I've seen in the past. Now I did it two years ago before Terry Wilson got hurt, and then Sawyer Smith went down, and Lynn Bowden had to play quarterback. So I, I know I did it at one point, but I've seen three or four people that have come out, including myself, that had Kentucky finishing second. So it's obviously a, a major topic for for to be talked about on. And I heard. On some other shows, other podcasts and radio shows, a lot of people talking about where Kentucky falls in the pecking order, and we think Kentucky's getting respect. And uh, I'm just here to say that there's some people from other fan bases, Derek, that don't see the same way a lot of us do. No, and um, to an extent, I can understand that. The thing about this storyline is that some of the other storylines, actually a lot of the other storylines we'll talk about will have a direct – I mean, there's a very strong correlation – with how these other storylines play out, it, it will be a big factor in where Kentucky ultimately finishes in the SEC East. You had them second. I went into this year having them third with, um, you know, I think a realistic shot to get to second, not something I was willing to to put my name on um, to start this season. But I, I'm going to stick with third for now. And one interesting note, I was talking to Adam Luckett today, obviously from the uh, – 11 personnel podcast works for KSR, the on three network. 
uh, over there. I guess that's what they call themselves, right? Non3.com, three yeah. three yeah. network. It's a new one. Um, and I'd actually seen a tweet, but, he, but when he texted me, it, it reminded me because I forgot to look into it. But it sounds like at Florida, interestingly enough, I think the team that most people think UK and Missouri too, to some extent, some people believe Missouri over UK. Either way, it's those two teams that a lot of people think will be competing with Florida for that second spot. Well, at Florida, it sounds like Emory Jones, the presumed starting quarterback there, has not had a very good fall. And that's already an offense that had to replace a lot in the passing game. They're going to have a strong um, running game, especially if Emory's back there. And I think their offensive line should be a little bit better. And you do have to put some faith, I think, in, in Dan Mullen as an offensive mind. He's, he's always had pretty good offenses in his career. But I did think that was interesting. And um, it's not the time of year that you you, know, you would hope that that had been figured out by now. Um, I have no doubt that Emory's probably going to be their starting quarterback, but if he's kind of struggled this fall camp, it, it makes you wonder how he's going to look when, when week one gets here. And, but in the difference this year, though, too, Sean, is they don't play them as early as they have most no, years. And Kentucky doesn't get them to October. And, so. and I saw that. I don't know where I saw that recently. I don't know if you've seen that statistic, but I'm pretty positive when this game is played in October, Kentucky has a winning record against Florida. Wow. If I'm not mistaken, it's seven and six. So I, it got switched over to September a, a long time ago then? It, it did. If, if Maybe we can look that up as we're recording here and kind of fact check that before we close it up. But I'm pretty sure, Derek, that they're seven and six in October against Florida in the series history. The last time that I remember that game being played in October was the year that they lost to them after they beat LSU. Mm-hmm. That's the last time I remember it being played that late. And then obviously last year it was played in November because of the way the schedule uh, was shuffled up due to due to the pandemic and everything, but I, I'll I'll find that in a moment and see if that's right. But uh, yeah, you that's been always been the storyline to me is Kentucky kind of gets the first, them as the first SEC game, and it was always a bad deal. But now they've got this string of games; they can build some confidence, and then we'll see where it goes out. I think the one thing everybody agrees is Georgia's here, way up here, and then everybody else is kind of fighting for that second spot. Uh, but moving on to number seven. Does the offensive line continue to dominate in a new system under Coach Eric Wolford? And that is one of the that's the storyline that we had is out of all the new coaching hires, I think his is the toughest, just given everything around you know John Schlarman's passing and and kind of earning the respect of those guys. But I think he's done a very good job of it so far, Derek. And he's been here since the winter. He has been. Uh, one last note on that last point: um, Kentucky played Florida. In October the next season, 2008. If you guys care to remember that game, it was 63 to five. Was the final score? Maybe. Well, Uh, I had wiped that from my memory. Okay, (laughs) because that was horrible to watch. You wiped the old man Rich Brooks yelling at Steve Wartmeyer. Actually, R.I.P. to Steve Wartmeyer too. He recently passed away, but I mean, he he tore into him that day after they had two punts punts uh, blocked. But that was a national championship Florida team. So, I mean, it's a 58 point loss. It's rough, but you know, no shame in it. But yeah, like you said, moving on to this next point, um, I feel like maybe an underrated storyline. I really do. I think um, most people have, and maybe roughly so. I mean, I think people have just kind of assumed Kentucky's offensive line. I mean, you, you got Cole Kubelik putting them number one, right, in the whole SEC. Yeah. Um, you have other people ranking them pretty high. Darren Kennard as a consensus first-team All-American. I, I would certainly say it's much more likely that they're a really good unit than, than not. But at the same time, I mean, these are a bunch of guys who are veterans and Luke Fortner, he's going to be playing a different position. 
Um, Darian Kennard's back at his natural home of right tackle, but for guys like Kenneth Horsey, for for Eli Cox, most likely the starting right guard, and then Darren Rosenthal. I mean, there's going to be some some mixture in there, and you're going to be asking these guys to do some different things. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not convinced yet. And, and again, would still be surprised if they're not good, but maybe it's not quite what we've seen the last few years. Does that make sense? I mean, I, th- I think it is. I just think maybe it's been taken for granted that they're going to be very good, and um, I just don't want it to be a surprise if maybe they're not as dominant as well as once thought. And again, like another thing too, man, like they've earned this rep for sure as being a very good unit. That's that's absolutely deserved. I mean, but uh, I think we would both agree they've mostly earned that because they've been so run heavy and they've been a very, very good run blocking team. But this year when they're going to be dropping back more, asking these guys to do some different things, I just think it's something to watch for. Never had to pass block really the last few years. And that's something that, uh, Coach Wolford actually told us a week ago that they had to really focus on and do. By the way, I checked the numbers. Kentucky is six and five in okay. October versus Florida. Six and five. So that's a storyline. I mean, they don't play in the month of October very much. So that, that might be something. Uh, <laughs> well, if Kentucky has six wins total, it'd be would be doing something here in September. Uh, but let's move on to the next storyline, Derek. And this is one that really didn't come into play until about a week ago. And I think that it continues to kind of climb up the list. Do the six arrested players return this year? And it that's that still remains to be seen. We know that they were practicing that day that we were out there. I know Jatan McLean was being held out that day, maybe for an injury or, or something else. But, Derek, I think that things – this storyline really became into play last Thursday, last Friday, and I don't know where it's going to go from here, honestly. I don't either. Um, those guys, those six, were actually in court this morning. Um, and the official word out of there this morning, I'm pulling the tweet up, I was not at the courthouse this morning, so props to – uh, John Hell and Josh Moore and the other guys who were out there. Um, I just don't want to say this wrong. Okay. Josh Moore tweeted, cases against the six UK football players charged last week for burglary were waived to a grand jury this morning in Fayette District Court. I'm not a law expert. I'm not going to pretend to know what that means. Um, all the thing I know, Sean, is that this is going to – it's going to be another week at least before you, you know, hear anything. Um or at least another week, right? Who knows how long it could take now. I don't see anything in there that that says when their next hearing will be. Um, I'm going to say most likely you don't see any of these guys week one. And, uh, you know, week two is where I guess you would really want them if they're going to have their charges dismissed. But who knows? I mean, you know, they're going to have to have the whole legal system play out. I just wonder if it gets to a certain point if they haven't played, you know, or practiced or done anything. I mean, at what point does that begin to take its toll? Uh, it's a it's a bad situation for everybody involved. I mean, you talk about a bad situation for the team, certainly, but also for them. I mean, they're in limbo right now, and uh, everyone everyone involved on both sides, uh, you know, the defendants and and the others as well. You know, everybody who's involved in this case, it's kind of a wait and see thing. So, um, a big storyline, and ultimately one that you hope never happens. But when I think about these storylines, I kind of think of two guys, and it's Jatama McLean and Beto Tisdale, and obviously Tisdale seems to be, you know, he also has a wanton uh, endangerment charge that he's facing, so he's got a little bit more to deal with. But, man, when we saw them at Fenday, 
uh, I left there. I'm sure he did too, thinking that you know Tom McLean was was going to be a potential star in this it's, offense. And without him there, you're having to figure out some things here these last few weeks of camp, kind of how to how to replace him. How do you look at that though, with that being passed on to a grand jury? Do you do you look at that from a standpoint that it's it's bad news? For the guys, oh, no. or, or do you think it's you can kind of take it a different route too, and maybe say that Kentucky, Kentucky's guys are confident that maybe grand jury won't take up the case if there's nothing there, or maybe uh, you know what I mean. Can we get like, a lawyer on here. That's true. I just need to get a lawyer on here to explain what this means because I don't know <laughs> yes. what it means. There's a lot of terminology in it that is, it's confusing and, and things, so we're we're just gonna have to wait and see. But I, I'm with you. I don't think they'll be out there week one. Which then that's you could throw in a storyline with the running backs now and then things of, of where Cavassier smoke falls and the uh, needing to keep him healthy. Lavelle Wright was a guy that you mentioned yesterday that you mm-hmm. could see getting snaps. And I actually think that that's going to happen, Derek. Is uh, we saw Benny Snell, and I'm not saying he's Benny Snell, but we saw Benny Snell not get a touch for two weeks. And then all of a sudden he comes into play against someone. And the next thing you know, that's a storyline throughout the entire season. We've seen this before oh, yeah. where there's a guy that's not really been talked about and then burst onto the scene and then is a complete difference maker. And could that could be someone at that position this year if injuries play a role or anything like that. Absolutely. I mean, I was um, – yeah, man, that's what we were talking about on our podcast yesterday, I think, right? Like, LeVar Wright might be very close <laughs> to playing um, – when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So that brings us to number five, Sean. This is where it gets – it is five, right? Yeah. It is five, yeah. So I actually just wrote a very long column on this, about 1,500 words, if you guys care to – and I'm not posted online yet. I guess I will post her to the season. Um, but the storyline we have is how close does Mark Stoops get to Bear Bryant's win record at Kentucky? And also, just as a side note, um, a bowl win. He's actually I need to double check this. I think he either I think he's tied yeah. for, the, for the most bowl wins. So that is something he can claim this year. But as a kind of a reset, um, Stoops is forty nine and fifty in his UK career overall. And this is after he started off in a. He was what, twelve, 12 twenty six at one point, or. 12 and yes, no, that's right. Yeah, because they started going too. Yeah, in 2016. So, yeah, 12 and 26, and he has managed to work his way. And he's getting uh, above he 500 in the first month because they're going to yeah. beat Monroe mm-hmm. and they're going to beat Chattanooga. And that is remarkable in itself. Like that, anybody else would have been fired 
and he's yeah. turned it around and going to get above 500. It's incredible. That'll be a storyline that we'll that we'll be writing for the entire month of September is what he's done to turn it from 12 and 26 in the SEC. Nobody improves 15 games in the SEC. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just to show you from 2016 on how how solid they've been. And also, I mean, whenever you have a year um, where you win, what, 10 games, you go yes. plus seven. They went plus seven that year, basically, um, over mm-hmm. 500. So that helped. But he's 11 behind right now, tying Bear Bryant. You know, Bear Bryant had 60 wins as UK's head coach. Obviously, a, a different time, different, a, a far, far different era of college football back then. But it's, it's a guarantee, though, Sean, that if Mark Stoops stays – and he is a head coach in 2022. I mean, he's going to be there all time. He is. Wins later. And I wrote this in my column, which I'm sure I'll post at some point online. Like, do you think if Mark Stoops stays here even five more years, he he will put some distance where he he'll, he'll it'll be hard be for people to reach him at some point? Yeah. I mean, in today's era of college football, I mean, unless there's a, a reverse somewhere, I mean, guys just don't get a ton of time. Um, you would think the next coach at Kentucky will be will have much more expected of them pre because of Mark Stoops. So, you would say Mark Stoops will Mark Stoops will be remembered as the best coach in UK football history. I, I just I think so. Just given the times yeah. and what he inherited, I know there's not a national championship there or anything like that to this point, or even a college football playoff appearance or anything like that, or even SEC championship or division championship, and there might not be. But I just think that. When it's all said and done, a lot of things on that campus and around that stadium will be named after Mark Stoops. It might be our children that's writing about it or talking about it. Who knows what we're doing <laughs> 20 years from now. Uh, but it's it's certainly been one of the most impressive jobs. And I, I don't see how at this point that anyone can really throw shade at the UK program when you look at the overall body of work. And I know that that's still something – that's going out there. But transitioning here to number four, Derek, is a guy who I think is going to be a name in college football for a long time. And he's Kentucky's defensive coordinator. Brad, Brad White job prospects after this season. It's a storyline to watch because you think if there's another good year from that from that defensive unit and Brad White leading the charge, Brad White is going to be a very popular candidate for someone. And I'm not talking defensive coordinator position, head coach. I think he'd be a phenomenal head coach. I think he'd be a great um, – that's that's kind of my story with Brad – or my question with Brad. Did you, have some, did you have something you wanted to say? Well, the only thing I was – I was going to ask you this before you, we get too far with it. How good do you think it is that if Liam Cohen is here – and we're going to talk about that too. But let's say Liam has some success here for a few years and, and Brad has the success that he's had. How How big is it do you think that – these guys have been at UK, developed that success, kind of kind of cut their teeth on it, and then got their next opportunity. That it's building not only this kind of domino effect when it comes to really good assistance, but you're kind of building your pool for a possible next head coach at some point. If there's guys that have been successful yeah. in your program that go have success somewhere else too, maybe not at the level of Kentucky and the SEC, but you maybe feel comfortable about it if Neil Brown's not there to take and it's in the future if he's an option at Kentucky maybe you're kind of building your pool with these guys it's big for Rhode Island football if uh, Liam Cohen and Brad White both uh become head coaches <laughs> but um no I think that's a good point I think with Brad um we're living at least in 
college football and probably the NFL too, but in college football, it's like such an offensive era that it's, it's, I think a little, would you agree? It's probably a little bit tougher for those defensive guys right now to yeah, like, yeah. think of it this way, the way the offense is being played. Yeah. Yeah. Had, had the offensive revolution happened. I'm, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is if Kentucky was in the same situation in 2012 that it was, let's say it was 2020 instead, is Mark Stoops a hire for UK? No, they would have went with a guy that's putting up a ton of points. Yeah, I mean, they would have hired someone on offense because that's what the name of the game was. Back then when they hired Stoops, I mean, Barnhart said it in his press conference, like or his press release, like they wanted to hire a guy who could improve them on defense because teams were, you know, that was still the name of the game back then, was uh, being able to stop the other team and not force yourself to score so much. So I think in some ways when Cohen already has – uh, you know, you've got that Sean McVay connection already. You got some NFL roots. Like I think he's probably a little bit sexier in terms of being hired right now. Um, but Brad White has NFL experience. He's a guy who has a Wake Forest background as a player, played at Georgia, I think originally. He is he's very impressive. I'm almost a little surprised that his name isn't popping up more. Um, and another thing too, another thing that defensive coordinators. Uh, sorry, defensive coordinators who work for defensive head coaches. I do think there is a little bit of that. How much is it really this guy and how much is it stooped? You yeah. know what I mean? So I think that's another thing. I guess my big question that I want you to answer does, let's say UK does have a good year defensively. Does Brad White, if he does leave, does he jump for a head coaching role or does he go somewhere else? Mm. Whether it be the NFL or as another college defensive coordinator somewhere else, what would you say? I don't, I see it being a head coaching job, honestly. I just don't, I think that he's, I think he's comfortable in Lexington. I think that the talent yeah. that they're stockpiling on that side of the ball, we know they got a lot of young talent. I think that that could keep him around if it's not a head coaching job, but. Uh, you were talking about, you know, Mitch Barnhart and stuff and making that hire. I, I bet when he made that hire, though, he didn't think that his offense would be good at keeping points off the board either. But that, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> what they got to. They were so good on defense that Mark, that it yeah. kind of carried over the offense. And the But it's wild to think that Kentucky got to a point now where the offense is the storyline uh, leading up to the offseason. I remember a few years ago where the defense couldn't stop anybody. And now how many times in your lifetime have you watched Kentucky football? And then when the offense is clicking, the defense cannot stop someone. And when the defense is really good, the offense can't even get a first down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you think 2014 UK Mississippi State, one of the better offensive performances, I would say, the Stoops era, they just could not stop Dak and Mississippi State at all. And if they could ever get both units clicking. Well, Sean, we've also watched a lot of games where the offense couldn't move the ball and the defense couldn't stop anybody either. Well, yeah, we've – We've watched probably games. more than the others. Well, I've watched games too where it's been a block punt for a touchdown after another, and then I don't know. Like <laughs> we've 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 watched a lot of things uh, over the years in that stadium that just what they're doing now is what it's makes a lot it, better these days. It is yeah. so much better. Young Kentucky fans right now they're 10, 11, 12 years old. They don't know anything. They, no. they don't. They've they've not been initiated enough to to really understand what what it's like to <laughs> to follow this program. But moving on to option or storyline three, option three, storyline three here, and we and you kind of hope Kentucky has more than three options when it comes to this. Will the passing game be respectable, Derek? I think it will be. And yeah, we're about to get a heavy dose of offense right here. Yeah, 
Yeah, we are. We're we're and and then we're talking respectable. You're not. You talked about this yesterday. You're not talking about setting the world on fire with numbers yeah. here. You just got to be to the point that you can have some balance and you can't be predictable. And the better that passing game is, if it's even just respectable, Derek, Chris Rodriguez is going to feed even more. Yeah, you um, you football people, you guys can pick whatever you want. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep sticking with that 2,500 passing yard number. To me, that's got to be. They've got to at least hit that. I, I just think it will be a discipline. If if and this is ideal scenario, if Levis is healthy, if you avoid any you know catastrophic you know, catastrophic injuries, things like that. I mean, obviously there are exceptions in there if if something happens, but if Levis starts 13 games. And your wide receiver group is generally healthy. They've got a that is respectable to me. It's got to be. I would even bump it down. Like it, I'll meet in the middle somewhere. I'll say two thousand two hundred and fifty yards. They need to at least throw for that. And then, you know, they're going to lose some guys off of this team. Actually, you know, they might they might lose a lot of guys off this offense actually for this next year. But you're going to have a lot of tight ends back, and you're going to have some young wide receivers and, and who knows who they might get from the transfer portal. Like then that next season with Levis, ideally you would hope he's a two-year starter. So he's going to be coming in next year. Like that's when you would probably expect even more, uh, maybe an, an even bigger jump. But to me, that's the goal this year. Get out of the basement, this 120 yards per game stuff they've been doing, or I don't know if it's even been that much. That's how bad it's been. Like that, that can't even be a thought this year. That You better not have any game where you're only throwing for 120 yards. I mean, unless you're playing someone that you literally can line the ball up and run it every single time and be successful. But against the best teams on their schedule, that's not reality. So that's that's respect, respectable to me. What is what is respectable to you? Uh, it, like maybe if it's third and six, you feel like there's actually a chance they might be able to convert it. Because I can tell you if it got to like anything more than third and run the ball well, range, I felt like it was going to be a – might as well just sit back there and punt it early last year. Well, the last time, well, the last time I, well, I guess it is the last time we talked to Liam because he wasn't there yesterday. Uh, New he dad, was talking, shout out. Yeah, he was talking about those third and tens or those third and longs that they've got to convert, and all all the good teams have to do it. Derek, I, I think that I think some success on third and long, third and medium in the passing game. Uh, you obviously want to see the passing touchdowns go up too. You want to see that be. Uh, something that – and with Josh Ali, with Wandell and some of these guys, I, I think that that's what I would be looking at the most. I'm not as much looking at total yardage. Maybe chunk plays and stuff too. Can they get some big plays in the passing game? Because that's something they've not been able uh, to do in the past. But moving on to number two, is Liam Cohen stay a short one? And then you we put there to reference Bruce Feldman's article uh, on that one. So I'll, I'll ask you, <laughs> is Liam Cohen – a one and two year guy is this Kentucky's Joe Brady, or is Liam? And if it is, it means Kentucky's offense was really freaking good. Yeah, which isn't a bad thing because then if you go get a if you have to go get another guy, it kind of sells itself if you've had that success. But uh, it would be nice for Mark Stoops to have some consistency here for maybe three years in my mind. Yeah, um, Bruce Feldman today. I don't know why he chose 43. I don't know if it's because he thought 43 were deserving, but um, he picked 43 college football coaches to watch this year, and Liam Cohen was included. He was at uh, number 19, and uh, it's a premium article, so I won't rip everything off. But basically, he talks about 
that basically with a good season, he sees Cohen kind of being a fast riser in this industry. And I mentioned earlier having that Sean McVay attachment. I mean, it seemed like he got everybody a job the last few years in the NFL. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's quite like one. Let's just all go ahead and live here in reality. Like, yes, Joe Brady was incredible. Obviously his rise is incredible. He's an offensive coordinator now for the Carolina Panthers, like interviewed for head coaching jobs, I believe um, things like that. But Will Levis is not Joe Burrow. Wondell Robinson's not Jamar Chase. I think these guys could be good college football players, but we're talking about a team that was just absolutely filthy on offense. I mean, Justin Jefferson, <laughs> another first round pick, like, UK's offense probably doesn't have a single first-round guy on it unless Dare Rosenthal turns into that or maybe even Darren Kennard. But uh, if he's headed to being a guard in the NFL, he's probably not going to be first-rounder. I-, I wouldn't put that kind of comp on him, but I understand why it-, it goes to there. I think, Sean, if you can keep him for two years and he puts the improvement in this year and they can take an even bigger jump the next year despite some personnel losses – I think it's a pretty successful stay. You're not going to be able to keep quality assistance a long time. I well, mean, those I'm, guys – go ahead. We'll go ahead and finish up your thought there. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, like, it's it's hard to keep – I mean, Liam Cohen's like a mid-30s guy with an NFL background now. Like, his lifelong goal probably was not to be the head co- – or to be a coach at Kentucky for long term. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, this is – part of building his brand and proving, I mean, he's never called a play at the FBS level. So I'm not, that's why I'm not saying he's for sure going to be out of here immediately. But I think that, um, I think he's, I think if he's here two years and Kentucky's offense turns around, I think it's a, a very successful tenure. And, um, back to your point, it should make it much easier to hire the next guy. Well, how much does it help too that you're taking over the part of the roster that if it shows any improvement, it's a plus. Like that, I mean, yeah, definitely. That's that's as well. So when we're parent, when we're talking him and Eric Wolford together here, one of them has the expectations have already been set for a unit, so there's a lot to live up to to keep it there. Whereas if Cohen just does anything in the passing game and gets the <laughs> offense moving, Kentucky fans are going to love it. So, but yeah. and, and even though it's number two storyline, I don't think there's much pressure there because I I think that anything's an improvement in the passing game. The only place I would say there's pressure, and I don't know if it's pressure. I don't know if I would label it exactly as that. But, like, when you do look at this offense, you think there's a decent chance that, obviously, no, Kennard won't be there. Fortner will be gone. I think there's a decent chance to Rosenthal, if he is any good at all. I think he'll take a shot at the NFL. I think Wondell Robinson would like to leave for the NFL, and I think Chris Rodriguez would like to leave early for the NFL. So, obviously, Josh Ali is going to graduate. We'll see where Isaiah Epps falls on this, but he's going to graduate. Like, there are there's some decent personnel losses that, that, that will happen off this team. Like, I'm not saying you, you absolutely have to just crush it this year or else you're a failure as an OC. I don't, I don't believe that because there are question marks with the things we talked about. Anytime you install a new offense, you got a new quarterback in there. Like, I don't think it's just foolproof that they're going to have a great year, but I think they're, there's enough – there's enough there that they need to have a good year. I guess is the way I would phrase it. And Cohen's status and year kind of depends on our number one storyline. And I think everyone listening to this podcast knows what it's going to be. How good is Will Levis? And that's that's got to be where it starts, Derek. And that's going to be the storyline. The moment that UK jogs out onto the field in week one 
on TV. All eyes are going to be on one camera is going to show Liam Cohen, first year offensive coordinator at Kentucky, and the other one's going to be on Will Levis. That's where the talk's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think people probably saw where that one was going. Like you said, I mean, it's huge. Like it's been um, a ridiculously too long time since Kentucky's had adequate quarterback play. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, Steven Johnson, I think it's, a lot of praise and, and rightfully so giving his what he was when he got here is kind of a last minute emergency addition to a recruiting class to leading them to two bowl games like and and basically like giving his body really um i don't mean to laugh at it i mean the kid had to have a lot of surgeries and after and i'm sure he feels it every you, day and i can yeah. tell you firsthand for some conversations man he yeah he went through a lot and i think he was beloved because of that and he should be um but I think if you're a coach of a program, like you, you want to strive to be better than that. And um, Steven did a good job. Tolls had his moments. Barker had a half where he looked great. Like there have been signs that, you know, they look competent, but they, they've been just been way too bad. Yeah, yeah, they've just been too bad. They've not been good enough, like plain and simple. And if people – they're still in a phase right now. I would say that, that Kentucky football is still in a phase where – you can still dream about getting to Atlanta. I, I will always say it, Georgia and Florida in there, it's going to be, it's always going to be really hard for them to ever make it. But I wonder how long people will, will keep going without seeing a better improved offensive style. I mean, last year I think was the biggest eye opener and Stoops obviously understands it. I mean, he fired one of his best friends to, to bring in somebody new, but Cohen picked Levis to be his guy. I think he's upgraded the room when he watched Levis play. And I said this, I think, the day we watched him. Like, the seven years I've been going to open practices, I don't think there's been anyone with more tools than Will Levis. I think if he puts it all together, I mean this, he could be a star. And maybe you wonder why he didn't put it together at Penn State. Who knows? Maybe going to a different system will help him. But this year I think is just huge. And if, if it is going to be a special year in any way, it's going to be because – one way or the other, I think a lot of it will ride on Will Levis. That's a lot of pressure to put on a new guy getting here, but I, I think that's where they are as a program right now. Uh, yeah, and if he has if he has a really good year and looks like a it looks superhuman, I think everybody at Kroger Fields is going to be eating bananas with the pill on it. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> myself included, I, I I picked up a banana yesterday morning. And I said, "Do I want to try this?" And I, I didn't I didn't try it. So that kudos to that man for stomaching a whole banana, including the pill. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with Will. I'm excited to see what happens, honestly, with all these storylines. They're they're interesting, Derek. That's why they're the top ten going into the season. Uh, you'll you'll get you got this episode. If you listen to this one, be sure to check out the feed because you got Ty Bryant, Kentucky football commitment, recent commitment. You'll have an episode from him, and then uh, we'll have mailbags as well. I'm going to put that tweet up for a football mailbag. And then we're moving to next week. We're going to have some interviews to preview the season. We'll talk depth chart on Monday. Perfect time. If you haven't subscribed to Kentucky Daily, if you're just catching us for the first time, smash that subscribe button, leave us a review, and uh, stick with us because we're going to be bringing you lots of content. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 